And what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Um, and you can follow our social pages as well on Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, great to be back with you folks uh, this week, our second episode of the new year. Um, just want to say thanks to everyone that uh, submitted questions for uh, Guest Friday last week. Got some uh, really good, really interesting questions. Um, so obviously we'll keep you folks posted when uh, I do one of those again. But obviously uh, always fun to uh, answer questions from from uh, the listeners. So we're going to get into it today. Obviously we're going to be pretty Patriots heavy. Um, but there is you know plenty of news in uh, Boston sports, so we will get to all of that. Uh, looking forward to Guest Friday this week. Uh, return of a uh, <laughs> the return of a uh, returning guest who I've not done a uh, podcast with um, in quite a while. Ben Baptiste will be back on the podcast this week. We usually have uh, talked about uh, football or Patriots, so uh, we're previewing the NFL playoffs later this week. So you have that to look forward to. Uh, for Guest Friday, so looking forward to that. Um, but we're going to start with the Patriots, start with the NFL, and, uh, you know, I think uh, depending on your viewpoint of this team over the last, you know, six, seven weeks or whatever, um, some of you may be pleased that the season is over and um, that <laughs> you don't really have to deal with the, the stress of watching a this team week in and week out. I mean, I think just not really having any idea of what type of team um, was going to show up week to week. Um, so, you know, unfortunately, Patriots suffer a uh, pretty frustrating loss to the Bills yesterday, uh, 35-23. Uh, Patriots obviously did not get into the playoffs as both the Dolphins and the Steelers won yesterday. So, Miami grabbing that last playoff spot. So, you know, I think disappointing because I think you looked at the way that they played that first half. It was, you know, one of their best offensive halves of the season. You know, I think you could even argue that the whole game was one of their best offensive games of the season. And, you know, clearly just not enough because of mistakes on offense and defense. But I think you could at least feel some sense of hope with the way that they played, you know, and it wasn't like it was the game from earlier this season that the Bills just kind of dominated and the Patriots really didn't do much in the game, you know, outside of the Marcus Jones touchdown. You know, I think that they were clearly a little bit more competitive um, in this game yesterday, but clearly just not enough. You know, I think defensively they did about as well as you could do against Josh Allen for a good portion of the game, you know, and then he's going to do what he's going to do. He's going to throw bombs down the field and, you know, beat the Patriots for a couple of long touchdowns, which, you know, I think that honestly at a certain point, he's going to be able to make plays like that. You're just going to have to, you know, hope that your offense can keep up. And I think, you know, this has not been an offense all season that I think we've had confidence in that they can hang with you know, the best offensive teams in the league. But I think defensively, the Patriots honestly did a pretty decent job, you know, 
without the, or, you know, take away the long touchdowns. I think that they did a pretty decent job, you know, and I think honestly, unfortunately, the reason they lost this game is because they couldn't make a play on special teams. You know, there were really three critical errors on special teams yesterday, obviously with the two kick return touchdowns and then, you know, Nick Folk with the squib kick in the second half to keep it away from um, Hines and the kick goes out of bounds. So, you know, I just think that unfortunately the special teams really let them down yesterday and really has let them down at various points this season. You know, the Patriots are unfortunately have become a team where block punts are kind of, you know, are happening more frequently than they ever have. So, you know, I think that special teams, unfortunately, came up short yesterday. Patriots offense, you know, clearly had a couple turnovers, but I don't really think you can necessarily put all three turnovers as, you know, bad decisions by Mac Jones. You know, maybe you could say the Hunter Henry play where he's just throwing it up for grabs. You know, I think I'd rather have someone that's going to throw it up and try to make plays uh, with the Patriots trailing as they were. You know, I think you could look at the Aguilar interception. You know, Aguilar kind of stopped his route for some reason, you know, and kind of, you know, Mac kind of threw it where he thought Aguilar was going to go to, and he kind of pulled up. So, you know, but I think first half-wise, a couple of great touchdown passes to Myers and to Parker. Parker had another touchdown in the second half, and I think really... He's been very, very good when he's been healthy, you know, and healthy has kind of been the operative word is, you know, I think when the Patriots traded for him last offseason, I think the thought was, okay, this guy's going to be your big play guy. He can go up and make plays, which for the most part he has. He's been able to make those kind of jump ball plays as he had a couple touchdowns um, yesterday. And I think when he's been on the field, he's been a difference maker. He's generally been a guy that can come down with those contested balls. And I think, you know, if he can stay healthy, there's no reason to think that he can't be that, you know, quote-unquote wide receiver one or, you know, whatever people want to say. You know, I really have said this a million times that I think wide receiver one is really just kind of a fantasy football term. And I don't really think it... I think that people use that term when they don't necessarily know what they're talking about, and I don't want to sound, like, condescending when I say that, but I think that, you know, when you think of a wide receiver one, I guess, you think of, like, Stephon Diggs, Devontae Parker, guys like that, and I think people get carried away with that term because they think that, oh, you have to have one of those guys to be successful, and I don't think that that's true. You know, I think the Patriots operated for many years without a wide receiver one and won multiple Super Bowls. So I think like it's kind of just a buzzword that people get carried away with and think, oh, you have to have one of these guys. And I think you're going to hear that refrain so much this offseason. And look, if the Patriots want to try to make a trade for uh, DeAndre Hopkins or Devontae Adams or whoever you want to think that they can make trades for. I'm not going to say that, oh, I don't want them to make that trade. But I think that when you look at someone like Devontae Parker, he can make all the plays that those guys can. not going to say that, oh, he's as good as those guys, but it's like 
you see the plays that those guys make, he makes those plays. So, you know, I would assume that he'll be back next year, but it was good to see him making some plays um, in the passing game. So, you know, disappointing, but I think you look at this team and you look at the losses that they've had this season, a lot of really bad mistakes, you know, and a lot of mistakes that they don't usually make. So, you know, I think that eight and nine was kind of around what some people thought the team was going to be when the season began. You know, I think that, again, as I said a couple of weeks ago, you know, referencing the developmental year that the Patriots have played a lot more rookies than they usually do. You know, I think that there are things that you can build off from this season. And look, not everything has gone well. You know, the special teams has been an issue. The offensive, you know, coaching or whatever you want to say, that's been an issue all year. But the defense was really strong. You know, you look at the year that Matt Judon had with 15 and a half sacks, you know, the year that Josh Uche had with uh, 10 and a half sacks, or 11 and a half, I should say, you know, you saw a great improvement from him. You saw Dietrich Wise probably have his best season as a Patriot. Juwan Bentley had a great year. You know, I think Christian Barmore, when he was healthy and, you know, regularly playing, he was making a difference. So I think the Patriots have a very good defense, and I think it's going to be interesting to see what kind of moves they make in the offseason. You know, really, I think the big free agent out of that group is Jonathan Jones. You know, made the made the switch to um, outside cornerback this season and was really good. You know, I think that I saw some stat yesterday that you look at the games that Justin Jefferson and Stephon Diggs had against them, averaged like 100 receiving yards or whatever it was, but then every other player, it was like they averaged 20 receiving yards. So I think that Jonathan Jones is a really good player, and I think the Patriots should try to keep him around, although, you know, the cornerback position can oftentimes be a position that guys get overpaid at, and so I think... Could there be a possibility that he gets a big money contract somewhere else, you know, and and signs? I think that's possible, but I think the Patriots should make an effort to keep him. You know, I think some other free agents that were no, that are notable, Jabril Peppers, Raekwon McMillan, Daniel Equale, Carl Davis, a couple of guys that I thought at times made good impacts. Um, I think Peppers was a guy that really came on toward the end of the season. He's a guy that I would like to see back. Um, I think, you know, Carl Davis, Equale had moments where they got to the quarterback. Equale actually had a sack yesterday. Um, and I think he's a quality player. And I think the defensive line deserves a lot of credit for how strong they were this season. Um, so I think... You know, that's an area that I think is still a strength. You know, clearly with someone like Jonathan Jones, you'd be curious to see what the Patriots do because they do have some solid rookies at that position. You know, with um, uh, Jack Jones um, and Marcus Jones. Um, 
And then, you know, kind of interesting about Jalen Mills, you know, he missed the last five or six games of the season, um, but he was pretty solid, I think, for, for most of the year. So I think, you know, cornerback will be an interesting spot, but I think, you know, as much as this team had their lumps offensively, I think that this is a group that still has pieces that they can, you know, improve upon. You know, it was nice to see Kendrick Bourne having some more receptions late in the year. You know, I think Myers was solid. Um, he's a guy that's obviously a free agent that you have to think about. So, you know, definitely a, a disappointing way to end the season. But, you know, I think um, this is a team that with the correct changes, um, I think can be a good team, you know, and I think whether those changes are hiring someone like Bill O'Brien, you know, getting a more experienced offensive play caller and a coach, you know, to help work with Mac Jones, you know, and help get some of these other guys more regularly involved. Um, you know, someone like Kendrick Bourne, you know, like Devontae Parker when he's on the field, uh, Tyquan Thornton, someone that I'd like to see kind of have a larger role this season. Uh, but I think, honestly, for a rookie, I thought that he made a somewhat decent impact. You know, 22 receptions, 247 yards, not numbers that are really going to stick out. But the Patriots generally don't have rookie-wide receivers making any impact. You know, there were a couple games this year where he made an impact. So I'm kind of going to be curious to see, you know, if they give him a larger role, which I think is kind of assumed with Nelson Aguilar being a free agent. Can't really imagine that he'll be back. So I think, you know, you have Thornton as kind of your speed burner, your guy that can take the top off the defense, and hopefully the Patriots can try to feature him a little bit more on offense. So... You know, those will be some things to look at. You know, I think the Patriots doing more play action. I think from a, from like a, a tactic standpoint, you know, would help. You know, I think that the Patriots were pretty successful running play action this year. And I think having a team that's pretty much built to be a run-first offense using play action makes a lot of sense. So I think whoever is coming in to take advantage, take control of the offense, you know, probably needs to emphasize that a little bit more than it was emphasized this year. So um, great to see Ramondre Stevenson get over a thousand yards. You know, that was uh, definitely one of the bright spots of the season, you know, how dominant he was at running the football and really improved his receiving skills. Uh, I do, however, think the Patriots will need a James White type back where, you know, you can catch passes out of the backfield and make plays. You know, Ty Montgomery is, I think, assumed to be that type of player next year as he's still signed um, through next season. So who knows? Maybe he jumps into that role. You know, they really missed him for a lot of the season. And I know that that's kind of a strange thing to say is he only played one game and he was a new guy but I think just having someone with that skill set I think could be really beneficial to Mac Jones in the offense next season so um, 
I think looking at some other free agents um, in terms of the offense, you know, obviously Myers is the big one. And honestly, I can't imagine the Patriots moving on from him. You know, he's been their leading receiver three years in a row, and I think has been their best receiver when you look at a consistency standpoint week to week. You know, I don't know the kind of contract that they'll give him, but I have to imagine he returns. You know, Aguilar, as I said, I can't imagine he returns. Damian Harris, you know, I think all year I've kind of doubted whether they bring him back, but, you know, I thought that he played okay yesterday, and I think when he's healthy and he's on the field, he can be a difference maker. I just am not sure with what the running back market is this year. Could he possibly get a larger deal from another team? But who knows? You know, I think if the opportunity arises, I would like to have him back. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, Connor McDermott, James Ferentz, Yadni Kajust, uh, Marcus Cannon, Isaiah Wynn. Some names on the offensive line. Can't imagine that Isaiah Wynn comes back. You know, missed a lot of games this year. Really had issues uh, with penalties and consistency. So I can't imagine that he comes back. You know, Connor McDermott's a guy that played right tackle for most of the second half of the year and had some lumps, but I think, honestly, was pretty good. You know, I think the protection, for the most part, in the last couple of weeks was good. So I'd like to see him return. You know, Ferentz is a guy is nice to have for depth. I mean, Kajust, I think it's the same thing. Um, so there are some key free agents, you know, special teams. Cody Davis is up. You know, Joe Cardona. Matt Slater, you know, the Patriots, I think, really are going to have to make a decision on those guys. You know, Slater, who knows what his plans are. You know, I would say the same thing for Devin McCourty. He is signed, but, you know, he could decide that this was his last season. Um, so, you know, I think Cardona is a guy that's been a long snapper for a while. Cody Davis has been a good special teams player. Um, Michael Pilardi is also a free agent, but can't imagine he returns the Patriots really had a lot of issues uh, punting the ball this year so you know Bailey obviously missed some games there was some you know he and Jack Jones I believe were suspended I guess but I thought that both of them were on injured reserve anyway and they were missing the rest of the season so I kind of don't really know the story there but uh, Bill Belichick did say that I think he does intend for those guys to have futures with the Patriots. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens with those two guys. And, you know, I think Belichick has already said that he'll be back for um, his 24th season. So, you know, I do think that with missing the playoffs, ownership and, you know, front office folks are definitely going to try to be as aggressive as they can this offseason. Patriots have, you know, 30 or 40 million in cap space. And so I think you know, there's a lot of opportunities that they can get better. Um, but I honestly think that you make some tweaks to the offensive coaching staff and you make some moves in free agency, maybe you make a trade. I think this team will be right back to being contending. I really don't think that this team is that far off from contending. I mean, you look at, you look at some of these games that they lost this season, particularly recently you know with the the Vegas game and the Bengals game Patriots win one of those games they're in the playoffs right now 
Patriots win both of those games, we're talking about this team having the same record as it did the year before. So I think that you get an offensive coach, um, you know, Bill O'Brien. I don't mean to keep beating that beating that name like it's at horse, but, you know, I think it would make a lot of sense for him to come back, you know, familiar with Alabama's offense, familiar with Mac Jones, and, you know, familiar with the Patriots and Bill Belichick. So, you know, I think that that's possible. I think that there's another name, Chad O'Shea, who is a Patriots offensive coach at some point when Brady was here. So, you know, that's another possible name that you could see. Um, but I think the Patriots just need one person that the offense goes through, you know, and not have to have a collaborative approach, which clearly just didn't work this season. Um, so I think whoever they hire, it's someone where the offense all goes through. So look for them to do something like that. You know, I bet that they're going to reassign Joe Judge and Matt Patricia. Um, you know, Patricia, maybe he moves back to defense. Maybe he moves into a front office role. Does Joe Judge go back to special teams because they need to change at special teams? You know, after yesterday, that much is clear. So I think that there will be some moving parts. I don't know if necessarily they're going to have a lot of big changes player-wise. You know, obviously the free agents that I named, that could definitely be some change there. Do the Patriots bring in a couple of big-name guys in free agency? You know, who knows, we'll probably spend a good portion of the offseason looking at free agents um, and things like that. So then you also got the draft. You know, what positions do the Patriots emphasize? Do they emphasize offensive line? Do they look at cornerback? Do they look at a wide receiver? Do they look at, you know, another running back? You know, who knows? Um, I really think that there are a lot of positions that could be um, areas that the Patriots try to improve in. So it's how the season ended, you know, eight, eight and nine. I think it's going to be a pretty telltale, telltale off season as I think the Patriots are, you know, you look at the three year stretch without Tom Brady. I think this year really is the year that the Patriots are going to look to try to get back to being a winning team and be like, okay, we had this three year kind of rebuild, which, the team went 500, which I don't know, like rebuilds obviously are not fun, but it's like, this is a team that maintained its competitiveness throughout this three-year run. And I think as much as people want to complain about how poorly the season has went this year, it really wasn't all that bad. You know, it could be much worse. Um, and I also think with the Patriots at eight and nine missing the playoffs, they're going to get a pretty good draft pick. I believe that they're going to get the 14th overall pick. So, you know, that's a pick that's a higher first round pick. And, you know, hopefully they can make make that pick and make it a, an impact player because, you know, you look at the picks that they had last year, a couple of those guys that they picked developed into starters. And that doesn't usually happen with a team like the Patriots. You know, you picked Cole Strange in the first round, certainly had his lumps, but had some good performances as well, but really was a starter from day one, which is really all you can ask for when you pick someone in the first round or in the early rounds. You know, the Patriots found Jack Jones and Marcus Jones, two guys that are starting caliber players 
so I'd be curious to see what they do. I kind of like the um, recent drafts that they've had because they've been able to pick up a couple of really good impact players, guys that are starters, guys that have really bright futures in the league. So it's going to be a long offseason, but I do have confidence that the Patriots can you know, build a quality team that can go into next year and you know, really feel like they have a chance to compete um, in the AFC. So I think that that's going to do it for the Patriots. Certainly we'll be talking about them all offseason um, as certain things come in. And I think that probably they're going to probably going to focus on, you know, coaching changes um, as soon as this month. You know, I really don't think that it's going to be too long before we figure out you know, who is not going to be back, who returns, and things like that. So, um, obviously, to keep you updated on all the Patriot stuff um, as it happens. So, we're going to move to the Bruins, talk a little bit about the uh, local hockey team that is still uh, lighting the hockey world on fire. This team is continuing just to put up this... (laughs) ridiculous pace of winning, which I feel like so many times this year I've been saying on the podcast, okay, inevitably this hot stretch is going to cool off, but the Bruins are playing better right now than they have really at any point in the season. You know, this is a team that I believe is 13 or 14 games without a regulation loss in a row. You know, this is a team that just came off a dominating uh, West Coast road trip Bruins go 3-0 against the Kings, the Sharks, and the Ducks. Maybe not the the best uh, teams in the league, although the Kings were a pretty solid team. But the Bruins uh, beating those teams with a combined score of 16-5 in the three-game stretch. Bruins beating the Ducks last night 7-1. David Pasternak with a hat-trick, 13th career hat-trick, had three goals and an assist. Hampus Lindholm also had a goal in his first game back in Anaheim since the trade last year. You know, Bruins looked really good in all three of these games. Uh, better starts, I would say, in the last two games. Bruins get an opening goal in the first couple of minutes on both, uh, or during both yesterday's game. And um, uh, the Sharks game as well. Bruins scoring in the first couple of minutes, winning 7-1 to last night, 4-2 Saturday night. So, This is just a team that doesn't really appear to have any weaknesses right now. And this is a team that, you know, just got really kind of brutal injury news that Jake DeBrusque will miss a month uh, with a fractured fibula, I believe, in his leg um, after blocking a shot in the Winter Classic. Obviously finished the game, scored a couple goals. So, you know, I think to me that kind of told me that, okay, he'll be out for a period, but probably won't be out for that long. You know, he'll be out for about a month or so, and then I think they'll reevaluate. But I think if this is a team that's going to continue to play at this pace, it's really not, the team's really not going to lose, you know, too much mojo. So, you know, pasta's just pasta. has been ridiculous over the last couple of games. Um, on this West Coast trip is now 32 goals, which is second in the league behind Connor McDavid. So, you know, if this is a guy that, Honestly, you know, I know that 
people might think that this is a crazy take, but it might be time that we start thinking about David Pasternak for MVP. The way that he's playing, you know, playing the best hockey on the best team. You know, I know that that's a correlation that we sometimes see in the NBA that, okay, if you're the best player on the team with the best record, you probably have a pretty good chance. Although, you know, I know everyone will probably knock it down just to be like, oh, well, he plays with, you know, Krejci and, and, and Bergeron and Marchand. How can he win? And it's like, well, I don't know. The numbers, the numbers don't really lie. You know, he's on pace for almost 60 goals, which is, you know, ridiculous. Um, or on pace for over 60 goals at this point with the hat trick last night. So, you know, it just, uh, it's kind of unfair that the Bruins have a guy like this. And, you know, they do believe the Bruins will come to terms with him soon with a contract. You know, I think that, yeah, maybe people would be concerned that he's not been signed yet. But, you know, I think as his agent said, the sides have been talking constantly. You know, I think that there are three things to me that don't concern me. You know, it's that the sides have been talking constantly. I think we'd all be concerned if there weren't any conversations. You know, talks are happening constantly. David wants to be here. I think that's number two. I think that he loves it here, you know, loves the fans, loves the group. And I think there's no indication that I think he's given that he doesn't want to be here. You know, and I think third, I don't think he cares about how much he's going to be paid. I mean, clearly, it's not like the Bruins are going to give him eight years for $8 million. They're not going to do something like that. But I think, you know, reasonably giving him eight years for $11 million or maybe a little bit above, you know, really isn't that crazy. Um, but I think he said a couple times that it's not really about the money. He doesn't really care about being the highest, play, highest paid winger in the game. He might be the best winger in the game, although, you know, Eric Belli, a Rangers fan who's got Artemi Panarin on his team, he might disagree with that statement, but um, he's just a guy that's just unbelievable, you know, loves it here in Boston, wants to win, but, you know, I think that whatever happens, or I think that ultimately it will get done, it's just a matter of when it gets done, you know, I can't really see any scenario where this doesn't get done. You know, it just is going to take a little bit of time. Um, but he's been, you know, unbelievable. Bruins goaltending is now in a little bit of a, I don't want to say a hot stretch, but, you know, Jeremy Swayman has played well recently, um, has really started to get into more of a rhythm. You know, that was a question on Guest Friday last week about, you know, how the Bruins are using both of their goalies. And I think if you look at what Swayman's been able to do recently, you know, on the year 9-3-3 three, and three, with a 251 goals against, the 905 save percentage has kind of put those early season struggles behind him. And I think, you know, looking at a couple of games may have skewed his numbers a little bit, but I think he's starting to figure it out, which is great. You know, I think it's great news that, you know, if Linus Olmark ever slows down, you can have a capable backup, but, you know, Linus has been unbelievable. He was just named to uh, the Atlantic Division all-star team, you know, well-deserved for him. He's been the best goalie in the league, and it's really not close. The numbers that he's been putting up, I mean, I think we've not seen a season like this since Tim Thomas, the year the Bruins won the Cup. You know, I think Olmark's performing 
like that, maybe even better, you know, so really no concerns there. You know, I think losing Jake DeBrusque really sucks just because of the season that he was having. You know, you look at the the point totals that he was probably going to be well on pace to score 30 goals this season. Now might not get there uh, with missing time, but I think, you know, it, it just sucks the season that he was having, but I don't really think that it affects this Bruins team much. I mean, the Bruins easily won all three of their West Coast road trips, West and West Coast road trip games, um, and now they have a break. You know, don't play till Thursday against the Seattle Kraken. They have a nice three-game homestand um, after the rest. So you look at Pasternak, he's been excellent. Marchand's been great recently. Uh, David Krejci had three points last night. He's starting to come on, and it's kind of amazing what a year away from the NHL has done for him. Is He's almost a point-per-game player. You know, he's missed some games, but 31 points in 35 games, you can't really get too much better than that. Um, you know, Pavel Zaka has been a great addition to the team. He had a couple of assists last night. He has 25 points. Um, you know, you're starting to see Trent Frederick really make an impact. I know we've talked about him a lot this season. Uh, Craig Smith has gotten back into the lineup recently, uh, scored on Saturday, and played with the top line yesterday. So it's good to see him, you know, get an opportunity to play with Marchand and Bergeron, uh, Chris Wagner um, has been called up from Providence, did play last night. So you might see some of him in the next couple of weeks with DeBrusque being out. Curious to see if the Bruins, you know, do anything major in terms of calling someone up. I think I'd be surprised um, just because I think you have a lot of top-end talent still. And I think, you know, you don't necessarily need a Fabian Lysel or someone from Providence to kickstart your offense. You know, if, you know, I don't want to say too much, but I think, you know, if maybe there's another injury, you could see a player from Providence. But, you know, I think Wagner's a good good guy to bring up. You know, as a guy who's a consummate professional and, you know, really enjoys being on this team. The fans like him. So he's a guy that I think will draw into some games. Uh, and I think, you know, having the luxury of putting Taylor Hall pretty much wherever you want, you know, is great. You know, that he can play third line, he can play second line. Um, the Bruins put the uh, the check line together with Zaka, Krejci, and uh, Pasternak last night. They were great. Pasternak, obviously, with the hat trick. Zaka, a couple of assists, and Krejci with three points. So, really not a lot of areas that I think you would be concerned about this team going forward. You know, I think as we get closer and closer to the trade deadline, there definitely begs the question of what will the Bruins do? You know, will they try to really improve this team? I don't really know how much you can improve this team when they've won 32 of their first 40 games, but I think undoubtedly there are going to be other teams that are going to be trying to go all in and try to, you know, take a crack at the Bruins. And I honestly think the Bruins are in a position where, you know, they could make a trade to make themselves even better. But I also think this team's playing really, really good hockey. And I think you would want to be careful in terms of breaking up any of that chemistry. And I'm not trying to say that the Bruins shouldn't make a trade. They absolutely should. But I think 
the Bruins need to kind of be a little bit, I don't want to say careful, but I don't think they necessarily need to bring in Patrick Kane. I don't think they necessarily need to bring in Bo Horvat, although he's kind of my ideal guy that I love the Bruins to trade for because I think it puts them over the top, and I think he's a player that could be here for a while as he's a center, and the Bruins kind of need all the center depth that they can get with uh, Bergeron and Krejci, you know, not really sure about their future. Um, although Bergeron's playing like, I'm not sure if he's going to retire anytime soon. You know, he's, he's looking like Brady. He's like getting better with age and playing at an even better level than he did last year, which doesn't even seem fair. Um, but I think, you know, you do always want to be thinking about the future. So Horvat could be a guy that you could get. But I also think the Bruins could be smart. They could bring in someone else who maybe is not a sexy name, but someone that can play hard for you every night, put the puck in the net. I think really the Bruins might just be looking for another goal-scoring winger. doesn't need to be Patrick Kane. doesn't need to be Vladimir Tarasenko. You know, they could be someone that just plays solidly, you know, and gives you, gives you points um, consistently. Um, so I think they could add their, you know, defense. I think it's possible that maybe they add another right-handed shot, but I think you know, Brandon Carlo has been playing really well lately. Connor Clifton's been great. You know, McAvoy obviously has been your stud defenseman. Lindholm's been awesome. So I think, you know, the Bruins could make moves to improve the roster, but they're playing so well right now that it's just like, it's hard to imagine that this team needs improvement, you know? And I think it'd be interesting to see what happens because I do think that the Bruins could move some guys. You know, Craig Smith, maybe it's possible. Mike Riley has been in Providence. You could move him. So I really think that anything is on the table for a couple of those guys. But this is a team that's just playing excellent hockey. It's been really fun to watch. And, you know, one of the things that I think Jim Montgomery had said recently that the Bruins do need better starts so they don't have to be a team that has to come back and play, you know, a three-goal third period to win a game. Um, but I do think the starts over the last two games have been really good. The Bruins have started off on the right foot, and I know that, yes, Anaheim and San Jose aren't exactly the class of the league, but, you know, I think anytime you can start a game on time, do the things that you want to do, you know, really kind of establish that tempo of the game, you know, really kind of make the make the game yours. So that's been great to see Bruins get three well-earned days of rest before they come back. But I think uh, the next stretch of kind of two and a half weeks is going to be really busy as the Bruins really do not have, you know, you, you're looking at Thursday when they play Seattle at the Garden. The Bruins play till January 29th with one extra day off, you know. The Bruins play a back-to-back in New York next week, then have two off days before they're back home, but then it's every other day. So, you know, it's uh, gonna be a pretty busy stretch for the Bruins over the next couple of weeks, but they get some rest. Seattle comes to the Garden on Saturday, and then Toronto, and then Philadelphia to close out that little three-game home home stretch. So, be interesting to see how Seattle plays Bruins playing Toronto at the Garden for the first time this season. So 
certainly that game will have a little bit of juices. Uh, Toronto has been a really good team this season as well. So, you know, looking forward to the next couple of weeks for the Bruins. It's going to get busier. Um, you know, I think they'll still be kind of moving some guys around in the lineup. Curious to see if anyone gets called up. Um, but I think that this is a team that's just playing their, their very best hockey right now. And it's, uh, again, just been a pleasure to watch them all season. You know, playing hard, you know, coming up with timely goals, timely saves, you know, the goalie hugs at the end of the games, those are always fun. Um, so it's definitely been a great, great first half of the season to be a Bruins fan as, you know, it's kind of hard to believe that we're at the halfway point 40 games through and the Bruins have, you know, lost eight games in regulation or, you know, shootout or overtime. It's pretty ridiculous that... This is a team that continues to be on the hot stretch that it was um, at the beginning of the year. So great to see. And I think we will move on, talk a little bit about the Celtics, who've been a little little uneven recently. Um, I think that the kind of stretch where they lost five out of six is kind of in the rear view at the moment. Um, the Celtics kind of with a kind of an okay West, like a Midwest trip. Um, the Celtics with a, a really disappointing loss to Oklahoma City last week. You know, that was definitely a game that um, was probably their worst their worst game of the season. And um, it really kind of was like, really kind of wasn't sure what type of team was going to show up in Dallas um, last week. And Jason Tatum responded with a triple double, uh, was the best player on the floor. And you know, I think that's what's been the great thing about this team, that they've suffered through some setbacks this year, but they've been able to, you know, set it right. So, you know, after losing the five of six um, on the West Coast, um, and then the whole home losses to Orlando and Indiana, Celtics bounced right back with four straight wins, you know, a couple disappointing losses uh, to Denver and Oklahoma City, but then the Celtics bounced back with a win in Dallas that really was never in doubt. And then the weird six o'clock start time for a Saturday game, you know, really was not the Celtics best effort in San Antonio, but came away with the win, made enough plays at the end. And, you know, it just is definitely frustrating when the Celtics kind of fall into their traps that they fell into a lot last season, which is, you know, not really bringing it against teams that aren't as good um, and putting teams like that away. And the Celtics really struggled with that Saturday night in San Antonio. Uh, Celtics did come away with the win, but it really should not have been that close. You know, and I think the Celtics have had a couple of those games this year where they kind of fail to put teams away, teams stick around um, and make enough plays to stay in the game. And thankfully the Celtics were able to recover knock down some free throws, make some big plays um, to get the win. Derek White, I thought, was fantastic in this game. Um, he's had a couple of really good defensive games, had 11 assists in the Spurs game on Saturday. So great to see him as a distributor, you know, and I think Marcus Smart, you know, obviously going down with a knee injury in that game, kind of not sure about his availability, but I think Derek White's someone who 
can absolutely step in if Marcus needs to miss some time. Um, as White's, you know, play has been great defensively, you know, the 11 assists and, you know, Rob Williams is starting to really kind of get into the swing of things, I think, to the point where the Celtics may want to start thinking about starting him. You know, I think that clearly they're trying to take things slowly. You know, perhaps he was on a minutes restriction when he first came back from injury, but I think now might be the good time that you can start him. You know, I think that at a certain point, he's going to have to play more minutes. You know, I think that, yes, you want to be as careful as you can with him and his injury history, but I think at a certain point, you kind of just have to let go and, you know, hope that he can stay upright and stay on the court because he's a huge, huge difference maker for this team. So, you know, hopefully he can start a couple of these games. Celtics, like the Bruins, are going to be very busy over the next couple of weeks, really, you know, rarely having any extra days off, uh, really, for the rest of the month. Uh, the Celtics do start a two-game homestand uh, with a game against the Bulls and then Wednesday against the Pelicans. And then the Celtics will travel for three in a row against Brooklyn, against Charlotte, and then against Charlotte again. Bruins will play, or Celtics, excuse me, will play the Nets on Thursday and then Charlotte on Saturday and next Monday. So it's a busy stretch for this team, and you got some teams that are playing pretty good basketball that are coming in. You know, the Bulls clearly have had their issues this season, but they're starting to play well. They've won three in a row, and they're always a team that gives the Celtics fits for whatever reason. So, you know, if this is a game tonight, the Celtics really have to be up for, um, you know, because this, this is a Chicago team that, you know, is always a good rebounding team. DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine are playing at a really high level right now. So the Celtics are going to have to be focused, you know, and I think that's, kind of been the biggest issue with some of the games that they've lost this season or some of the games that they've failed to put away bad teams. You know, it is interesting, although it doesn't feel like it. The Celtics do have a better winning percentage against teams that are bad. It doesn't really feel like that because it feels like the Celtics have, you know, trouble getting up for teams that are bad. But the next three teams the Celtics are playing are not bad. You know, they're pretty solid teams. So, it's Chicago tonight, it's New Orleans Wednesday, they're a team that's been in the, the battle for the number one seed in the West, and then, you know, Brooklyn has been playing out of their minds recently, although I'm not sure about uh, Kevin Durant's availability, he hurt his knee last night in Miami, didn't return to the game, so be interesting to see, but I do think that this is definitely a team that needs to have their mind right, you know, and whether that's Joe Missoula getting through to them or the guys just needing to make sure their focus is where it, where it needs to be and where it needs to be throughout a game. You know, I think too many times on Saturday, the Celtics looked like they were going to take control and then just took their foot off the gas. And, you know, that's something that they've been working through a lot this season, especially lately. Um, and I think that is it is it sometimes coaching? Certainly. You know, the coach's job is to, you know, be aware of situations in the game and, you know, motivate his players. But I also think at a certain point, the players kind of need to figure it out for themselves. You know, and I think that 
that's kind of been Joe Missoula's strategy this season is letting the guys play through things. Because honestly, I think, you know, he's been with this organization for a couple of years now. He's been around Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart. You know, when you think about the core of this team, and I just think, I think at what point do you kind of let them kind of figure it out on their own? And I think I've appreciated that they've done that because I think the Celtics kind of need that, you know, and I think for the most part it's worked. You know, for the most part, the Celtics maybe have to deal with a team's run of 7-0, 8-0, 9-0, but then the Celtics come back, you know, and they they regroup. And I think that, you know, maybe that strategy didn't work in San Antonio the other night, but I don't think that's to suggest that it's a strategy that's failed because the majority of the season, it hasn't failed. The majority of the season, it's worked. So, you know, I think that it's maybe unconventional the way that Missoula uses or, you know, doesn't use his timeouts, but I think it's a way to kind of challenge the team. And instead of calling a timeout and, you know, barking at the guys and saying, oh, you need to try harder, yelling at them or whatever, it's a way to be like, okay, you're going through a tough stretch right, right now. You need to get through it. And I think certainly maybe that's one way to coach in the regular season, you know, in the playoffs. Is it going to be a different thing? Who knows? But I think as much as I think guys off the bench give you energy, the guys that are, you know, in the starting lineup, they need to be able to do that too. You know, it's not like one player is going to make that much of a difference. And I mean, maybe it does, but it shouldn't be that way. You know, I think when you're late in games, you have to continue doing what you've been doing. And I think too many times on Saturday, it was, you know, they're moving the ball, hitting threes, making the right plays. And then, you know, they get into close game situations where Jalen and Jason are holding on to the ball, you know, and not running offense the way that they had been the whole game. And so I think they need to have a better, you know, focus and a better mindset late in games. And I don't really think that that's necessarily a coaching problem. You know, I think that it's an execution thing and the guys need to have the right mindset. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next few weeks when the Celtics play a couple of teams that maybe aren't as good, but they also have some good teams mixed in there as well. So the motivation and the hunger to play, to do the right thing and make the right plays has to be there for this team. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they do tonight against Chicago. Celtics then will play New Orleans on Wednesday, Charlotte on Thursday, or excuse me, Brooklyn on Thursday, Charlotte Saturday and Monday. So five games the Celtics have in the next week. So it will be a tough stretch for them. So I think that's going to do it for the Celtics. And move on to the Red Sox, who, you know, finally made kind of a big splash, if you will, this offseason. Uh, Rafael Devers is back, and uh, it's just a sim- simply a move that they had to make, you know, giving Devers the, the long-term deal. They had actually, a day before, uh, signed him uh, to a one-year contract to avoid arbitration, um, but then obviously giving him the uh, long-term 11-year, $331 million um, extension from the Red Sox. So 
he'll be with the Sox through his age 37 season. You know, getting him for his prime years is, <clears throat> I think, exactly what exactly what they needed to do. You know, I think especially with losing Bogarts this offseason, it was a move that they kind of had to make. You know, I'm not going to sit here and applaud the team for doing this, although, you know, it's a move that makes you better for over the long term. And I think, you know, you would rather have him on the roster than not. And I think the money and the years, you know, really is not something that's going to, you know, really going to affect much. You know, if he's making about $30 million a year for the next 11 years after this year, you know, that's a pretty good deal. And I think it might actually be less money than he probably could have gotten last off or next off season if he became a free agent. So good on the Red Sox for doing it. And, you know, I think makes this team a team that you can believe in for the next couple of years. You know, it'll be interesting to see what happens the rest of the offseason. You know, I think there's been rumors um, about trades with Miami Marlins. I've heard a couple of names, infielders and then pitchers. So it could be interesting to see if the Red Sox make um, a move there. You know, I think that that tells me that maybe they want to keep Trevor Story at second base and go out and acquire uh, someone that can play shortstop. And, you know, I think with the rotation in the position that it's in, you might want to have another arm, you know, just in case there's, you know, injuries that happen, which I think undoubtedly will with Chris Sale's inability to be healthy over the last couple of years. And, you know, Kluber's had some health issues as well, um, although started upwards of 30 games last year. So hopefully, you know, the injury issues are behind him um, that he had a couple of years ago. James Paxton, you know, obviously coming off the Tommy John surgery. So those are three guys that you want to make sure that they're healthy. And then you got Nick Pavetta, you got Brian Bayo, you got Garrett Whitlock, if they're going to have him be a starter. You know, I think uh, if everything goes well and those guys stay healthy, it's really not a bad rotation if you really think about it. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see if they make another move. You know, the bullpen, I think, is fairly set. You know, really liked the addition of of Jansen and Chris Martin, two pretty good relievers. You know, you can go back and forth on whether it was an overpay on Jansen. I think it's fine, but a guy that can pitch, a guy that can kind of, I think, solidify your bullpen. Uh, Red Sox, you know, obviously, I think, have to think about some moves in the outfield with uh, Kike Hernandez maybe staying in the outfield. You know, Yoshida's a guy who probably play the outfield. What do the Red Sox do with Verdugo? You know, what do they do with Turner? Do they play him at first base? Do they have him DH? You know, I think that there's a lot of moving parts. And then you know, there's players like Bobby Dahlbeck and Christian Arroyo. You know, where do they fit in? You know, I think that there's a lot of guys that I think still haven't been, you know, they're, they're, their roles haven't been solidified. So I think that you have a lot of decisions to make with those couple of guys. You know, Turner obviously will be here. He was a free agent addition and, you know, I think is going to be a good, a good add to this team. I think from a leadership perspective, but he can still hit, you know, is still a guy that can give you close to 20 home runs, give you close to 70 RBIs and, you know, really kind of give this team some stability uh, from an offensive standpoint. You know, you hope that Trevor Story can stay healthy and he can be an effective hitter, you know, and kind of smooth the loss of Bogarts. 
uh, who's an excellent hitter. So still, I think, a lot of moving parts for this team in the offseason. But, you know, getting Devers signed, I think, is the best thing that you could have done. You know, and if you really want to get into specifics, you know, I think that when you think about Bogarts and Devers, Devers is probably the guy that's going to be more valuable to you, you know, through the rest of that contract. You know, Bogarts, as good of a player that he was last year, I don't know if he's going to have that same effect on the Padres. You know, I don't know if four years from now are the Padres going to look at that contract and regret it. You know, who knows? I mean, I don't think that, obviously, the Red Sox were intending to give him that deal, which, you know, I think is is fine, you know, but I think it's just the, the way that they handled the whole contract situation, you know, is disappointing that, you know, if the Red Sox had offered him something, you know, respectable at the time, then maybe he would have stayed. But, you know, things happen for a reason, and, you know, let's see what this team can do. You know, still a lot of questions, still a lot of moving parts, but I think that there is an area where there is an opportunity for the Red Sox to be a quality team um, in 2023. So we'll see what else they can do in the rest of the offseason, you know, pitchers and catchers reporting in about a month from now. So it'll get very interesting as we get closer to that. So I think that there's not any more uh, Red Sox stuff. You know, keep you updated if there are any moves that they make between now and uh, February 13th or whatever the date is that they report down. So I think that we will move on, talk about the NFL, take a look at the games from this past weekend as many of them had playoff implications. Um, The games yesterday and then the games Saturday. So the games on Saturday, the Chiefs, dominating the Raiders, 31-13. to 13. Uh, Jared Stidham got another start for the Raiders, did not necessarily do as well as he did the first game. Uh, so the Raiders fall to 6-11. and 11. That's how they finished the year. Chiefs 14-3 and clinched the number one seed in the AFC. So they will not play next weekend in the wild card games, the wild card round. Jacksonville using a 10-point fourth quarter. Uh, to beat the Titans and win the AFC South. A fumble return for a touchdown was the difference. Jaguars win 20-16 on Saturday night. So the Jags winning the AFC South for the fourth time in their in their history. Uh, Trevor Lawrence was, I don't think, at his best in this game, but the Jags able to make enough plays defensively to win. So the Jags clinching the division, clinching the number four seed in the AFC. Titans go home. At seven and ten, obviously the Bills beating the beating the Patriots and jumping into that uh, second seed in the AFC, helped by the uh, two kick returns for touchdowns, including one in the very first play of the game. Not a great way to start the game if you were the Patriots, but a pretty electric start uh, if you were a Bills fan. The Falcons ensure that the Buccaneers will be going into the playoffs with a sub-500 record at 8-9. Falcons with the win, 30-17. Desmond Ritter with two touchdown passes. Uh, his first two of his career is the Falcons beat the Bucks, 30-17. Falcons finish the year at 7-10. The Vikings using a 
uh, quality running game in Chicago yesterday. They win 29-13. to The Vikings finish the year at 13-4, Bears at 3-14. Vikings will open the playoffs as the third seed in the NFC. The Bengals beating the Ravens to um, avoid the you know, potential coin toss of where um, their potential wildcard game could have been could have been played. I didn't really exactly read all the scenarios there, but the Bengals take care of that by beating the Ravens 27 to 16. Bengals win the AFC North 12 and 4 on the season. Ravens fall to 10 and 7, so the two teams will play again uh, next weekend in the wildcard playoffs. Ravens may get Lamar Jackson back for that game. Who knows? Uh, but the Bengals, a pretty dominant first half in their win. The Texans beating the Colts, improving to 3-13-1. Colts fall to 4-12-1. Texans get a winning field goal at the end. Davis Mills, three touchdown passes for the Texans, who actually lost their chance to have the number one pick, as now the Bears will have the first pick in the draft. The Dolphins uh, beating the Jets to clinch a playoff berth, 11-6 the final score. They got a safety on the final play of the game after kicking the go-ahead field goal with 23 seconds. So Dolphins are in the playoffs, beating the Jets 11-6. Don't really know who's going to be available for the uh, Dolphins when they play the Bills in the first round of the playoffs as the Dolphins getting the seven seed. Scott, Skyler Thompson made the start, played you know, just okay in this game. So I don't really think I give the Dolphins much of a chance to win if they're playing the Bills with Thompson at quarterback. You know, who knows about the availability of Teddy Bridgewater. So Dolphins get the win, clinch the playoff spot. Uh, the Panthers hit a game-winning field goal in the final seconds. Panthers beat the Saints 10-7. to Both teams finish the year at 7-10. and the Steelers did their part to play for uh, the final playoff spot, but ultimately did not matter with the Patriots' loss and the Dolphins' win. So the Steelers end the season at 9-8, 28-14, the final score over the Browns. The Broncos and Russell Wilson played a pretty good offensive game for really kind of the first time this season as they beat the Chargers 31-28. Chargers will be the five-seed in the AFC. They will play Jacksonville. In the first round, Broncos 5-12 on the year, Chargers 10-7, the Eagles clinching the number one seed in the, in the NFC, 22-16 the final score over the Giants. The Giants did not play their starters as they were firmly in as the number six seed. They will play Minnesota in the first round of the playoffs. Brock Purdy with three touchdown passes for the 49ers as they clinched the number two seed in the NFC, 38-13 the final score over the Cardinals. The Seahawks with a game-winning field goal in overtime. 19-16 over the Rams. And the Seahawks with the Packers loss last night uh, got into the playoffs as the seventh seed in the NFC. The Commanders beat the Cowboys 26-6. Cowboys just really bad in this game offensively as they will be the fourth or the five seed in the NFC, they'll play the Bucks in the first round. And then the Lions with uh, the big win over the Packers last night, 20-16. to 16. Packers eliminated from the playoffs. Lions get the win, although the Seahawks 
had the tiebreaker over them, so they make the playoffs, but the Lions finish the year with a 500 with a finish the year with a winning record. It's good stuff for the Lions there. They they finish at 9 and 8, Packers 8 and 9. So just some quick notes before we take a look at the playoff schedule. Uh, the Texans firing Levy Smith after his first season. Uh, the Browns have fired their defensive coordinator. Um, so I think you'll see announcements from coaching staffs over the next couple of weeks. So looking at the uh, playoffs for what you got in the uh, wild card round, both the Eagles and the Chiefs getting first round buys, so they will not play. Playoffs kick off on Saturday afternoon on Fox. The Seahawks travel to San Francisco to take on the Niners. And then later that night at 8.15, the Chargers travel to Jacksonville to take on the Jags. And then you have three games on Sunday. Miami at Buffalo, 1 o'clock. And then the Giants at Minnesota, 4.30. And then Baltimore at Cincinnati at 8.15. And then the Monday night game, the Cowboys will travel to Tampa Bay to take on the Bucks. So the obviously the number one seeds will take on the lowest remaining seeds in the uh, divisional round, and then the other two winners will play each other. So that will be very interesting to see. We'll obviously talk more about the playoffs on Guest Friday. Looking forward to that with Ben Baptiste. So we will move on, take a look at some NHL notes, take a look at the standings as well. So obviously there is an announcement for the um, all-star rosters, I should say. Uh, we'll take a look at those in a moment, but uh, just some notes from around the league. The Capitals got uh, Nick Backstrom and Tom Wilson back into their lineup as they won yesterday. Both of them had missed most of the uh, first half of the season. Um, Jack Eichel returned from injury at three points in tonight's win against the Kings the other night. We'll take a look at the uh, standings, then we'll take a look at the initial all-star all-star rosters. So Bruins obviously first in the Atlantic, an 11-point lead over the Toronto Maple Leafs, and then 19 points ahead of the Tampa Bay Lightning, which is kind of ridiculous to fathom at the moment. So the Bruins in first in the Atlantic, followed by Toronto and Tampa Bay. And then in the Metro, Carolina atop the division with New Jersey and Washington in second and third, respectively. And then in the wild card positions, the Rangers and the Penguins have the, the, the spots with the Islanders, even in points with the Penguins. And Buffalo is just four points back of that final playoff spot. In the Western Conference, Vegas leads the Pacific and the Conference with 56 points. Kings are in second with 52 points, and then the Kraken are in third with 48 points. In the Central, Dallas leads the division with 54 points, followed by Winnipeg with 53, Minnesota with 47, Calgary and Edmonton with the final playoff spots at the moment with Colorado and St. Louis just three points, or just two points behind, and Nashville is three points behind that final playoff spot. So now we're going to go to the NHL All-Star rosters. Um, there is a fan vote that is going on through 
uh, January 17th as you can vote for the rest of the rosters. Take a look. There you go. So the uh, 11 first-time players making the All-Star team, so the NHL will go back to the, or will have the three-on-three tournament with each division playing against each other. So we'll take a look at the uh, All-Stars at the moment. So each team had one player that was revealed, and then FanVote will determine the rest of the rosters on the Metro roster. We have Sidney Crosby, Johnny Gaudreau, Kevin Hayes, Jack Hughes, Brock Nelson, Alex Ovechkin, Andre Svechnikov, and um, Igor Sturkin, Crosby from Pittsburgh, Gaudreau from Columbus, Hayes from uh, Philadelphia, Hughes from the Devils, Nelson from the Islanders, Ovechkin from the Capitals, Svechnikov from Carolina, and then Sturkin from the Rangers, the Atlantic Division, Kucherov from Tampa Bay, Dylan Larkin from Detroit, Mitch Marner from Toronto, Nick Suzuki from Montreal, Tage Thompson from Buffalo, Brady Kachuk from Ottawa, Matt Kachuk from Florida, and then Linus Allmark making the All-Star game for the first time, getting his, or getting the Bruins selection. In the Central Division, Cap Kaprizov for Minnesota, Keller for Arizona, Jason Robertson for Dallas, Vladimir Tarasenko for St. Louis, Seth Jones for Chicago, Kale McCarr for Colorado, Josh Morrissey for Winnipeg, and UC Saros for Nashville, and the Pacific, Matty Beneers for St. Louis, or for Seattle, I should say, Kevin Fiala for the Kings, Nazem Kadri for the Flames, Connor McDavid for Edmonton, Elias Pedersen for Vancouver, Troy Terry for Anaheim, Eric Carlson for San Jose, and then Logan Thompson for Vegas. The um, there are vote candidates for the rest of the Atlantic team roster. Take a look at some Bruins players that are on the list. It looks like Hampus Lindholm is among the favorites for A Bruins candidate. And I think you would think that Pasternak will be one of the candidates as well uh, from the Bruins as he has put together a pretty good season so far with uh, the 32 goals just second in the league. So that I think is it for the NHL. We'll take a look at some games for tonight. Philadelphia and Buffalo at 7 o'clock. Nashville and Ottawa at 7.30. Seattle and Montreal at 7.30. And then Edmonton and Los Angeles at 10.30. <clears throat> so I think we'll take a look at the NBA, take a look at some notes, and take a look at the standings as well. Kevin Durant will undergo an MRI on his knee after hurting it last night in Miami. <clears throat> um, now we'll take a look at the standings in the NBA. Celtics in first place in the East, 
28 and 12, just a game ahead of the Brooklyn Nets. And then Milwaukee and Cleveland in second and third, or third and fourth. And then Philadelphia in fifth, Indiana in sixth. And then in the play-in positions, the Knicks, the Heat, the Bulls, and the Hawks, 7 to 10. The Wizards and the Raptors, two games out of that final play-in spot in the West. Denver and Memphis, even at the top of the conference, both 26 and 13 records. Uh, New Orleans in third, followed by Dallas, Sacramento, and the Clippers, and then Golden State, Phoenix, Minnesota, and Portland in the play-in positions with the Lakers, just a half game out of that final play-in spot as they have won five in a row. The schedule for tonight, New Orleans and Washington at 7, obviously Bulls and Celtics at 7.30 from the Garden, and then Milwaukee, New York also at 7.30, Spurs and Memphis at 8 o'clock, Lakers and Nuggets at 9, and then Orlando and Sacramento at 10 o'clock. Um, and then before we go, we'll talk a little bit about the uh, college football playoff national championship it takes place tonight in Los Angeles at Sto SoFi Stadium. TCU against Georgia, both games or both semifinals were really entertaining um, on New Year's Eve. So championship is tonight. Georgia, I think, definitely the favorite tonight to win uh, their second straight championship, TCU. Although, you know, I think definitely a quality opponent uh, for Georgia, TCU third, Georgia number one. So it should be a good game tonight. Um, definitely expect Georgia to win, but I think TCU could make it a good game. You know, Max Duggan definitely playing that, you know, underdog mentality. I think that this is a TCU team that's really kind of had to prove itself all season. Um, but Georgia, you know, kind of the number one and never really been seriously challenged all season, really until the uh, semifinal game where Ohio State almost beat them, game-winning field goal, missed. So, It'll be Georgia and TCU tonight. Game is uh, scheduled for a 7.30 start, although I don't know if it starts right at 7.30. So um, if you're interested, you know, you can check that out and, uh, you know, maybe do a split screen action if you're watching the Celtics. So uh, should be a good game tonight. And I think that's probably uh, going to do it for me this week on uh, the podcast. We'll be back with Guest Friday later this week talking more about the NFL playoffs Really excited to talk more about that. So, you know, as always, you can listen to the pod on um, Apple Podcasts and Spotify and, you know, follow those social pages for the latest updates on Twitter and on Facebook. All right, everyone, have a great rest of your week. We'll talk to you Friday.